Good morning, church, and happy Super Bowl Sunday. I'm pumped to preach today, let me tell you. The Lord woke me up early yesterday morning and reminded me, Kurt, it's Super Bowl Sunday at Sadeville Church every Lord's Day. Why? Because we have the privilege of preaching to you the word of the living God with a message designed just for you. So Jesus exhorts, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and to you. With that in mind, would you please take your Bibles and join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. In the current bumper video that we show you weekly as we make our way up here for the preaching event, we've been featuring various aspects, ministries, titles of Jesus. Today we're going to focus on the title, Teacher. Jesus was the master teacher. It was said of him, never a man spoke like this man. Why did the people say that? Well, Matthew gives insight back in chapter 7 when he says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. It means It was electric. It was powerful. It was life-giving. Astonished at his teaching. Because he spoke, he taught as one having authority and not as their scribes. You ask, who are the scribes? Well, they were among the religious intelligentsia of the first century Jewish world. They were experts in the Mosaic law, and they were well known as rabbis, as teachers. But one distinction between Jesus and them The scribes lacked power, spirit power, God power. And the implication is clear. The scribes borrowed other people's thoughts, a variety of them, but Jesus was an original source. The scribes lacked certainty, but Jesus declared absolute truth. I've highlighted the word astonished in the verse on the screen. It's from a Greek word that means to be struck. Have you ever been talking to someone, maybe in a classroom setting, trying to learn something, or maybe your friend's trying to explain a concept, and you just can't quite get your head wrapped around it, and then suddenly it dawns on you, and you say, Eureka, and you hit yourself in the forehead. (laughs) Now I get it. That's the word astonished. When Jesus taught, the truth of God hit with full force. Jesus said, this is right, and this is wrong. This is the way to life, and that is the way to death. There was no ambiguity. We need to be preaching the same way today with not nuanced political correctness, but thus saith the Lord. Frequently, Jesus featured the use of parables when he taught using earthly stories to explain a heavenly meaning. At least 35 parables are recorded in the four Gospels. The English word parable, parabolos, is actually a compound word, two words there. Para is a preposition meaning with, paralegal, parasail, parachurch. And then balos means to throw. So you put them together. A parable is a story thrown alongside of a truth to illustrate it. It's a metaphor. It's a word picture. 
In addition, you need to know that the rabbis of the first century, unlike us today, sat down to teach. And when they sat down to teach, they often used the parabolic method. Jesus, being the best of the rabbis, God's rabbi, sat down to teach too. And he also used parables. And today we're going to be looking at the first of those parables, the parable of the soils, which I have chosen to entitle the parable of peril. Let's look at our text. Verse 1 of chapter 13. That same day, stop there for a moment. <clears throat> this is a transitional phrase going back to chapter 12. The things that occur here where he taught happened on the same day that the previous events happened in chapter 12. I'll come back to that. Jesus went out of the house, probably Peter's house in the North Shore of the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> and he sat... There's the word, he sat beside the sea, first of all, on the shore, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat, and again he sat down, and the crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, and he starts with the first parable, a sower went out to sow. Now kids, that word sow simply means plant, okay? He's talking about planting seeds, basic agrarian truth here. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. That's the first soil type. Other seeds, verse 5, fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. A third soil type. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And finally, category 4, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Before he taught the meaning of this parable, Jesus explained why he used parables to teach. In short, he was trying to give light to those who wanted to see who wanted to understand. And conversely, he wanted to envelop in darkness those who refused to see or understand. You've seen the old adage, none are so blind as those who will not see. Frankly, by this time in Jesus' public ministry, the Pharisees had totally hardened their hearts. Not only did they not believe, they would not believe. In chapter 12, the previous chapter, they had accused Jesus of being in league with the devil, with Satan. They claimed that what Jesus did in his miracle-working power was actually done by the power of Beelzebul, another name for Satan, thus blaspheming the Holy Spirit and committing what Jesus called the unpardonable sin, a sin which cannot be forgiven. When you blaspheme what the Spirit did through Jesus, thereby denying his deity, there is no chance for your salvation. So, as a result of this, <clears throat> actually in an act of mercy to prevent further judgment, because more light would bring more judgment, from this day forward, Jesus changed his teaching style, and he never ever taught again, except he taught using parables. Let me show you verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? 
And he answered them, to you, that is through the disciples who believe, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, their sovereign grace for them, for us who believe. But to them, that is unbelievers who have hardened their hearts, it's not been given. For the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, the idea is they will not see, and hearing they do not hear, i.e. they will not hear, nor will they understand. The Pharisees were like ancient Israel in their blindness, as explained in verses 14 through 17. And as a result, their hearts were permanently hardened. That's a scary thought. It sobers me that there could be some people I'm preaching to right now whose hearts are hardened. Here's the spiritual mystery. Your heart, that inner organ by which you respond spiritually, your heart has eyes. Your heart has ears. But a question for all of you, do your eyes see? Do your ears hear? If you will not see, if you will not hear, your heart will be hardened. Even today, as I'm preaching the Word of God. You see it on the screen here. If you will not see the same sun that melts one thing, hardens another. Now, the soils in our parable represent four types of heart conditions. Only the fourth of which I believe is indicative of true regeneration. Let's dive in. Let's look at the first of the four. Number one, the first soil represents the hard heart, as explained by Jesus if you drop down to verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Ancient farmers... They, uh, they sowed seed broadcast style. They weren't into modern technology. Obviously, they didn't possess a, a John Deere DB12048 row planter. They, they had a pouch of seed, as you see here on the screen. They reached in. They didn't necessarily till the ground, at least most of it beforehand. They just kind of threw it willy-nilly wherever the wind would carry it. It would be less like us trying to overseed our lawns in the summertime. Some of it falls on the sidewalk. Obviously, it's easy prey for the birds. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to make an application. For some of you, the Word of God represented by the seed in this story will not make it out of this building today. Think about that. Birds are a picture in context of demon spirits. I'm not trying to spook you, but there are demons in this room. There's always demons when we're in the preaching event. They're evil spirits who are just looking at what you're thinking about right now and where you're going and what you're planning the rest of the day and how you're distracted, and they're ready to pounce on your thoughts and take away the seed which could change your life. Hmm. Mark 4.15 describes it this way. When they hear, Satan immediately goes and takes the seed, the word that is sown in them. 
It's never given a second thought. It's gone in a moment. Why? Because the heart was never prepared. The soil was never tilled. You must prepare for the preaching event by all week long, taking in the Word, listening to the Word, interacting with people in community groups, praying and repenting every day. God, soften my heart so that I can truly hear what God wants to say to me when I gather with His people. Listen to how the writer to the Hebrews warns, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That is a reference to Numbers chapter 14 when Israel came to the very brink, the threshold of the the promised land, but they would not go in because of fear and unbelief. And I wonder, where is God today asking you to step over the line into the promised line, uh, land and do something that he's calling you to do? And you're saying, no, hardening of heart is a natural result. Beware of the hard heart. There's a second soil type, number two. The second soil represents the shallow heart. The verses 20 and 21 in our text. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This, this rocky ground is actually a shelf of solid rock, a ledge of limestone, over which is a thin veneer of soil. The seed is cast on it. It initially germinates, but because there's no depth of soil, it's impossible for the roots to go deep. And as a result, when the sun burns hot, the plant quickly fades. The sun burning hot pictures, as you see in the text, trials and persecutions that come on account of the word phrase that simply implies believing, or at least professing to believe on Jesus. And then that phrase I've also highlighted on the screen falls away. It's from the Greek word skandalizo, which means to scandalize. And sometimes when we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, we, we kind of scandalize our, our friends and our family. They think we're Jesus freaks. We've gone over the top because we're so fervent for Jesus and they begin to push away, and they may detach, and they, frankly, might even demonize us. And then as a result of that, maybe we are scandalized, and we throw our faith overboard because we're afraid of what people think. And thus, our faith goes by the board. There will be hard times if you're going to be a Christian. Hard times. When I was a little boy, six years of age, Kindergarten, Rock Valley Elementary up in Northwest Iowa. I remember, I don't remember a whole lot, it's been just one or two years ago, but I remember planting a kernel of corn in an empty vegetable can that had been filled with dirt, and I stuck that little kernel of corn down in there, and I watered it, and then I put it over in the window of the classroom, and I was so proud and kept watering it, and I watched it grow over a period of weeks, maybe a month or two. And I think it grew to maybe five inches tall, and I was so proud of my plant. And then the end of the school year came. I was a farm kid. 
So we lived six miles south of town on a paved road, and I had to ride the bus home. And I can still remember carrying my little prized potted plant firmly in my right hand, just waiting to get home to show Dad and Mom and Doug and Charlotte, this is the plant I grew at school. One thing I failed to tell you, when I put it in the window at school, it got lots of sun, but there was no resistance of wind. You know where I'm going with this. The moment I disembarked on our gravel farm driveway, that strong I will wind met me full force and broke my little pet plant right at the spine. Can you cry with me? Some crocodile tears. My little heart was broken. But I learned a valuable lesson. Parents and pastors do not help their children or their converts if they shield them from all the problems of life. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. He had to pass this on to his church at Ephesus. All who will desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Troubles will come. Maybe they've already come. So how is it with your heart? How is it with your soul? Are you wavering? Consider this quote. There is a difference between things being well with your circumstances and things being well with your soul. Beware of the shallow heart. To a third soil type, the third soil represents a divided heart, or I might call it a distracted heart, to verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares, worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Thorns represent both worries and preoccupation with material comforts. What are you worried about? coming up this week. Something health-related, family-related, maybe your finances, maybe you've been watching the markets and they say, ooh. Maybe it's something uh, political and you're concerned about the condition of our country and it's distracting you. And then when it comes to the comforts we Americans enjoy, do you realize that this group of people and us modern Americans, contemporary Americans, we live in the top 2% of all people of all time in standard of living. We are the rich, the Bible warns, every person in this room. Hmm. For us, this soil represents living the good life, the American dream, things that can divide or distract our soul. Now question, is it wrong to live well? The answer is no, of course not. But it is fraught with danger. I don't know who the first one was to say this, but it's, it's so on target. When, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And C.S. Lewis adds, we must never turn good things into ultimate things. It's very easy to look to our resources instead of our Redeemer. And the love of riches, the love of this present evil age, this world, have taken out as many professed believers, I believe, as those that were taken out in the second soil type by troubles and persecutions. If you grew up on a farm like me, or maybe 
you've worked on a farm or maybe you've grown a garden, you know the challenge that weeds can present to reproducing a crop. They rob the soil of precious nutrients and moisture. I don't want you to lose something here that goes back to, to verse 20. Note that both types 2 and 3 of these soils look like they are genuine believers. They make professions. But if you look at verse 20, do you see it there? They immediately receive the word with joy. They're pumped. They're excited. But there's a difference between an emotional profession and a regenerated possession in the end, merely excited professors do not last. They're so excited, and then six months later, they're gone. No following Jesus. That means they weren't genuinely saved because saving faith is enduring faith. Hebrews 10, verse 39. We, with the Reformers, believe in the perseverance of the saints. I want to use an illustration from John Piper. I enjoy him so much. I'm going to... Uh, if you will, overlay his quote on a picture of the Niagara River in New York State. Please read it as I read it aloud. The life of this world, the alluring world system, is not a lake. It's a river. And that river is flowing downward to destruction. If you do not listen earnestly to Jesus, consider him daily, fix your eyes on him hourly, you will not stand still. On this river, you will go backward. You will float away from Christ. At the bottom of the picture, the admonition from the text of Scripture, Hebrews 2.1, Therefore, we must pay much attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Let me show you a picture here of Niagara Falls. Lots of water. I'll drink to that. This is actually a picture of Horseshoe Falls. How, how many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, I've been there several times. I love it. It's beautiful, gorgeous. A lot of honeymooners go there. <laughs> Got a witness. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's also very dangerous. Horseshoe Falls here. The Niagara River plunges at this point over the Horseshoe Falls, a distance of 167 feet down to a rocky gorge below. You may have a hard time believing this, but it is estimated that since 1850, 5,000 people have died at Niagara Falls. Many of them suicides. But some of them, numbers of them, were simply people who tempted fate and lost how do we know if we are figuratively floating down this river to our own destruction, even though we've made a profession of faith in Jesus? Well, we've got to ask ourselves some questions, check our motivations. What makes our heart beat faster? What gives us joy? What wakes us up in the morning? Be careful. Jesus declared, this is the words of Jesus, you cannot serve God and money. They are mutually exclusive. Not wrong to have money, but you can't worship it. Worship God. It's easy to replace Christ with comforts. But Christ is so much better. Later here in Matthew 13, he's described as, as the treasure hidden in the field. 
He's described as the pearl of great price. He's the only one who can satisfy the soul. My friend, you were created for a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. May God help you discover that today by faith in what Jesus has done for you. So beware of the divided heart. Finally, there's a fourth soil type, and that's the receptive heart. Receptive heart, good soil, verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who, notice all the action verbs here, implying faith without works is dead. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is, I believe, the only soil that reflects true conversion. And just as there are three kinds of soil with no fruit, there are three kinds of good soil with differing amounts of fruit. The amount of fruit varies from believer to believer, but there will be fruitfulness of some kind. So here's the point of the parable. Here's the premise. Here's the proposition. Please write this down. True believers produce fruit that lasts. Would you read that out loud with me right now? True believers produce fruit that lasts. So what does biblical fruit look like? Well, here's a picture of God's produce section and the shelves that put them on display as packaged by John MacArthur. I love the simplicity of the three categories he chooses. Here they are. Number one, spiritual attitudes that characterize a spirit-led believer. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Are you loving? Joy, are you a joyful person? Peace, are you a peaceful person? Patience, would people say, oh, wow, they're very patient. All the way down to the end, self-control, would people say, yeah, now there's a self-disciplined person. They're under self-control. Does that describe you? Then there's righteous actions, holy behaviors, Romans chapter 6. There's the gift of giving, the fruit of giving, Philippians chapter 4. There's the fruit of our lips, which is praise to God, Hebrews chapter 13. And finally, there's the fruit of new converts, witnessing for Jesus Christ and by God's grace, seeing some come to faith. I, I must ask you, do you reflect any of these fruit in an ongoing way? Paul Challenge the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. It's not lost on me that every parable in the Gospels is about the Gospel. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe, the fruit of Christ's resurrection life becomes the fruit of our life. The classic passage in John 15 says it so well in verse 5. Jesus claims, I am the vine, and you, believers, are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Keyword is abides. What does it mean to abide? It means to remain, to stay connected to, to have intimate relationship with, to be at home with. Abide is the key word. And please do a heart check here. Whatever controls your joy is what you're abiding in. So if I were to summarize the composite implication from the parable of peril, 
it would present a shocking truth. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to discard the first soil type, quite obviously not a reference to believers, but let's talk about the other three. Follow me. If Jesus' percentages are any indication, only one in three who hear the gospel and make a profession of faith in Christ will be saved in the end. Gulp. Soils two and three had initial growth but failed to display any finishing fruit. I close with an illustration. Along the pathway to the Super Bowl, there was a monumental game played between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. I have a pastor's son that's pastoring on staff in Rochester, New York, Northridge Church, and I know he was rooting for the Bills. Many of you, no doubt, were rooting for the Chiefs because it's one of the local teams. And it was an amazing game. These two great quarterbacks put on quite the show. The game had four go-ahead touchdowns in the final two minutes. Count them, four. One of them was scored by the Bills with just 13 seconds left. Surely the Bills are going to win the game, right? Do this. Nope. They lost the game. Patrick Mahomes performed his magic. They tied the game, won the coin flip for overtime, scored a touchdown. Chiefs won. The coach of the Bills, his name is Sean McDermott, looked back on the game, and this is what he said. I watched it on video, and I watched it over and over in my head a million times, and in my stomach a million times more, implying, I still can't believe it. We had that game won, but every time I watched it, we still lost. Stay with me. In a staggering turn of events, essentially the same thing happened to the Kansas City Chiefs the next week. I mean, if you watched them playing the Bengals, who were in the Super Bowl today, they were blowing them out of the water. They had an 18-point lead. It was amazing. Surely the Chiefs will make it to the Super Bowl. Did they? Nope. <laughs> they did not. My condolences to you Chief fans. Now, let's apply this to the game of life. The stakes are so much higher. Pastor Pat challenges everybody who gets up here to preach. Every week, he says, guys, when you preach the word, always share the gospel. Always. And we do that. You hear it here. We urge you to turn away from self and turn away from trusting in the world or the things of this present evil age. Repent of your sin and put all your faith in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ who died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the, 30 day, the third day. And if you believe that, you will be saved. And many of you have believed that, praise God. Many of you have made a profession. But here's the question that comes naturally out of our text. In the end, have you been eternally connected to Christ for a fruitful finish. Or even as I speak right now, is something coming down in your life that's really hurting bad, and you are at this moment falling away from Jesus? I had a man from the first service came up to me and said, I'm going to go home and I've got to figure out which of the four soils I'm in. 
as Jesus told the enlightened Pharisees in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. It's either one or the other. For the tree is known by its fruit. Listen with your heart to the peril, the parable of peril. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Could you pray with me? Father, this is, this is really sobering truth that Jesus told, but it's right from his own lips. There are some, no doubt, hearing me, whether present in this room or online, who know down deep inside they've never been born again. There's no question. They've never repented and believed the gospel. I beg that you'll draw them to Jesus right now. But Lord, I'm concerned for a, a bunch of professed believers, perhaps some in this room, who made the right noises, but there's really nothing going on in their life behind the scenes. There's no relationship. There's no abiding in Christ. Would you convict them that perhaps their profession is not a genuine possession? Would you bring them to repentance, to a true and full commitment in Christ? Would you show them Jesus is so much better, the way, the truth, and the life? He is the solid rock on which we can build our eternity. Do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?